electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. And thank you, Scott. Hi, everybody. I'm Melissa Lee. And today for Kelly Evans, the countdown is on. Markets trading in a tight range as investors brace for one of the most anticipated Fed decisions in a very long time. With inflation running at a 39-year high, Fed Chair Powell surprised the markets last month, retiring the word transitory and admitting it is time to focus on high prices and potentially speed up tapering. So what does it all mean for the markets and the economy? Our panel of experts is standing by, as is Tyler Matheson, who is live outside the Federal Reserve in Washington, D.C for this big day. Ty. Melissa, wish you were here because it is October in December here in Washington. It's a lovely day. People are scootering, but in this building behind us or in the annex beyond it, the decision has already been made. Right now, Chair Powell is probably being briefed by his staff about what questions to anticipate when he meets the press at 2.30. The decision has been made. The language has been settled on. We don't know what it is. Transitory is out. Will persistent be the new transitory? Is it the new black uh, in fashion sense? We will find out here within an hour. One other thing we should point out, we are probably the only reporting crew right here as close to where the decision is being made as anybody because everybody else is virtual, Melissa. <laughs> and you could probably feel the excitement, Tyler. I've sat with you here in Englewood Cliff so many for so many of these days, Ty, and we have scrutinized the statement with only small tweaks and minor changes. And today it could very well be very different in terms of how much that statement gets overhauled. Well, there are lots of Fed meetings that are inconsequential, relatively Mm -hmm. speaking. I don't want to say that they are really meaningless. They're not. They all mean something. But this one has the potential to be a big change because what we're going to hear today is uh, Chair Powell talking about what pivot really means. What does that mean in terms of the tapering of asset purchases? How fast? How soon will it end? And what do the Fed governors say, uh, the Fed folks on the FOMC say about the pace and scale of interest rate hikes Mm -hmm. in 2022 and beyond? This is about as consequential a meeting as we have had in years, Melissa. It is all about, it will all be all about the dots, the dot plots. All right. It's the waiting game. Meantime, market slightly lower ahead of this decision on rates. Let's get to Dom Chu with all the numbers so far. Dom. All right. So, Melissa Tyler, you know that it's a very consequential decision when there is no action in the markets. The reason why is because every trader and investor out there has jockeyed for position ahead of this and is now waiting to hear, waiting to see what the Fed is going to do. For that reason, the Dow is down three, three whole hundredths of a percent. That's how flat it is right now. It's only 10 points to the downside for a Dow basis of 35,534. The S&P 500 is down a little bit more, down about a quarter of 1%, about nine points, 4,624. And the Nasdaq Composite, the real outsized underperformer, down by about almost a full percent at this point, 131 points to the downside, 15,105. As always, interest rates, the real epicenter of everything on a Fed day. So watch what's happening with the 10-year U.S. Treasury note, the benchmark yield just a hair below 1.45 
5% right now. The two-year note yield just a hair below 77 basis points or 0.77%. That means the banks will be a big part of the conversation today as they often are on Fed rate decision days. If you take a look at some of the moves in the exchange-traded funds that track the financial sector, the banks overall, look at the financial sector spider, ticker FXLF. It's up about two-tenths of 1% right now, 32% gain on a one or year, year-to-date basis. But you can kind of see here, we've been locked in a relative trading range over the course of the last three months. It's going to be something to watch. And then, of course, the names that will move the market the most, the heavily weighted ones, are names like Apple, Alphabet, Amazon, Microsoft, among others, the most heavily weighted stocks out there. You can kind of see them just fractionally lower, except for Amazon, down 2% right now. They will be big ones to watch. Melissa, of course, as the Fed rate decision comes out. Back over to you. All right, Dom, thank you. Well, at the last Fed meeting in early November, Fed Chair Powell announced they would begin the process of gradually tapering. A few weeks later, as the inflation numbers continued to come in hot, the chair began to sound more hawkish and implied the pace of tapering could speed up. And now investors are trying to gauge how much faster it could be and what their projection suggests about rate hikes next year. Steve Leisman is here with what we can expect at the top of the hour. Steve. Melissa, a significant change likely coming in Fed policy to be announced in now less than 60 minutes with expectations the Fed's going to speed up the removal of pandemic emergency relief and set the stage for interest rate increases much earlier than previously signaled to address high and persistent inflation. Here's what the Fed probably has on tap. It'll speed up the taper to 30 billion from 15 billion a month. That ended around March. No longer call inflation transitory and almost certainly forecast higher Fed funds rates in its own forecast in 2022 and beyond. The difficulty for markets pricing risk assets amid more aggressive Fed policy and the uncertainty of just how hawkish it will be. Fed officials will likely increase their outlook for rate hikes next year and beyond. Respondents to the CNBC Fed survey, they see a 70 basis point funds rate in 2022. You see the Fed look for just 30 basis points in the September projections. Respondents see a 150 funds rate by the end of 2023. The Fed had been at just 1%. Now, since Fed Chair Powell pivoted towards worrying more about inflation in testimony on November 13th, S&P mostly unchanged. The Nasdaq, it's the one that's taken the brunt, 4.5%. 20 basis points have been added to the two-year yield. And the 10-year is unchanged, which kind of makes the Nasdaq move even more puzzling. Well, we'll see if after the statement in the press conference, the market has fully priced in the policy pivot presaged by Powell or if Powell and the Fed are more hawkish than they have led on. Melissa? Under all those unchanged numbers, though, Steve, we saw a lot of volatility in the past couple of weeks. Steve Leisman, thank you. Oh, we'll see you soon. yeah. Yeah, Yada, 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 that's unchanged, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. All right, we've got all the angles covered for you. For Market Tech, Neil Hennessy, Portfolio Manager and Chief Investment Officer at Hennessy Funds. On rates, Subhadra Rajapa, the head of U.S. rate strategy at Societe Generale. And on the economy, Julia Coronado, founder of Macro Policy Perspectives. Thank you all for joining us on this Fed Day. Julia, I want to start off with you. What are you expecting in terms of of the the most notable changes out of the Fed today? Well, Steve gave a great summary of what's become a very uniform consensus around a speeding up of tapering, ending in March, adding some rate hikes into the 2022 baseline, getting rid of transitory. I think the changes to their forecast will summarize the the pivot here. They're going to revise up near-term inflation pretty substantially yet again and revise lower the unemployment rate. So I think the way that that Chair Powell is going to cast this pivot is against the backdrop of an economy that's running really hot, hotter than they expected. We've got Q4 GDP tracking in the same territory 
as the first half of the year after a somewhat sluggish Q3. Uh, that presages a lot of tightening in the labor market in the next few months. So I think that they're more confident that they're not going to have to decide between their two mandates, but they'll actually meet both of them so that they'll uh, cast the liftoff in rates next year against the expectation that they'll be in the neighborhood of maximum employment, just as their new reaction function specifies, and therefore it will be appropriate uh, to lift off and, and proceed towards a more neutral setting of policy. Subhadra, so, though, what, what are the rates markets telling us about the economy? Because it does seem that the flattening of the yield curve that we have seen gone on in the, in the past month or so is telling us that rates will be higher in the short term. And longer term, there's a question mark around growth. So the market's clearly pricing in a sooner and faster pace of rate hikes, um, perhaps two to three next year and a total of five by the end of 2023. But really, the messaging from the market is that the curve is extraordinarily flat. The market's really thinking that the economy is going to, you know, not be able to, uh, you know, grow at the same pace as it has in the last couple of years. So really, the, the, the flatness of the curve is quite dramatic and seems to be very much at odds with what the market, uh, what the Fed is saying the terminal Fed funds rate is going to be. The terminal Fed funds rate in the market is around one and a half percent. The Fed thinks that the term of Fed funds rate is is around two and a half percent, and it's and t- today we'll get more information on what the pace of the, of the hikes is going to be and what their expectation is going to be for the term of Fed funds rate. But to me, the messaging from the curve is extraordinarily pessimistic on the outlook for growth over the next uh, couple of years. So, Neil, there's a discrepancy between what the Fed might be telegraphing and what the markets are actually telegraphing, specifically fixed income. And so I'm wondering what what you see and what backdrop you're investing for. Well, I don't you know, the Feds are going to say what they're going to say, but they really can't do a whole lot, Melissa, in my opinion, because you have to look at the financial institutions. You look at the banks. They are so strong and very, very strong. If you start to go back to in the 2005, 6, 7, and 8, and you raise rates really too quick, they're going to have to mark the market, and they could run into some problems. So I don't think the Feds are going to raise rates in any meaningful way to hurt corporate America. As Dominic was saying when the show started, the, everybody's looking to see what the Feds are going to do, but you're going to be looking at Amazon and Facebook and Microsoft and Apple. You know, and these six companies and or stocks have been running the stock market, but there's a lot more to the stock market in investing than those six stocks. So yes, the feds might come out, they might use different language, but the bottom line is they really can't do a whole lot to hurt this economy because there's so much, so much cash sitting on the sidelines in the consumer pocket, in the S&P 500 companies, all companies have a tremendous amount of cash that continue to grow slowly, but surely in the ensuing years. Neil, do you think that if the Fed comes out extremely hawkish and, and raises rates too fast, that it, it won't hurt the stock market at all? It wouldn't hurt the economy? It, it's going to be volatile. This is all headlines. Right now, where uh-huh. it's another headline today, the Fed's, what they're going to do. Is it the pandemic? It is, is uh, the chain, chain uh, supply problems? Is it inflation? Is it the pandemic? Is it the Mimi stocks? These are headlines, but behind the headlines are fundamentals. And fundamentally, most companies are in very good economic shape. And that's why you look at you're going to see the high growth arena mm-hmm. get hit in here like you're seeing with the NASDAQ. As At the end of the month, the NASDAQ was up 
24%. But if you take out those six companies I mentioned, it was up uh, under 10%. So people are going to be moving out of those, Melissa, into high-quality right. value stock that's going to take the market higher. I mean, if the, if the backdrop Neil paints, Julia, is correct, then the Fed, uh, there's not uh, – a, a big possibility of a big misstep. And yet a lot of people are already saying that the Fed has committed a misstep and has committed a policy error by not moving to quicken the taper faster, by not moving towards rate hikes faster, Julie. And I'm wondering if you think the Fed is sort of in a box at this point, that it's faced with the potential hiccups of Omicron um, and the impact of the variant on the economy, but it's got to go forward. Yeah, so so I think uh, you're you're making a great point that there are plenty of people saying that the Fed is going to make a mistake in one direction or another. But I think what Neil is bringing up is very important, which is that the Fed is going to feel its way uh, along and it's going to be flexible, just as it was flexible and pivoting towards a more hawkish stance now, because that's what the data are telling it is appropriate. If we lose more momentum faster or if there's a stronger tightening in financial conditions in response to their pivot, they will calibrate accordingly. So they're not locked into any path. Chair Powell will remind us that the dot plot is not a promise, that the uncertainty around 2022 is still extraordinarily high. Uh, and so the Fed will promise to meet its mandates as best as possible. I don't think the Fed is boxed into anything. Uh, and I think that they will remain flexible and very focused on not making a mistake, on tightening enough uh, to keep the uh, recovery in a sustainable zone, but not too much that we, um, you know, head into a recession. So um, I, I think that that's what we're going to hear from Chair Powell is that they're going to calibrate according to the incoming data. And that's part of the new reaction function. Right now, that data is saying get rid of the easing first, mm -hmm. you know, get out of tapering faster. That's what they're going to do. Beyond that, really the, the momentum going into Q1 and Q2, how much of that cash that Neil cited stays on the sidelines versus finds its way into the economy, all of that's going to matter for the rate path and what's actually realized. Subhadra, what will you be looking at um, in your part of the world when the Fed decision comes across in the statement uh, gets published. I'm, I'm just wondering what part of the yield curve will you be focusing on? I'll be focused on the dots. So mm -hmm. really what we'll be looking to see if there's going to be three hikes uh, in the median dot for next year, uh, four in 2023, or or if the terminal Fed funds rate is going to be a lot higher. But I mostly agree with Neil as well as, uh, as Julia in the sense that I don't think the Fed is going to really uh, sound very hawkish at this meeting. Uh, they don't have enough data to to guide, guide the markets uh, for rate hikes for the next several years. So I think what they're going to do is have a, a risk management approach where they're very, very reactive if they need to. But for the most part, at this meeting, I don't see them uh, suggesting a lot of hikes for next year or the upcoming years because they don't really want to flatten out the curve too much and Fed policy lead potentially into a recession. So they want to be very careful about the communication and not sound very hawkish today. All right. Thanks for your thoughts, all. We appreciate it. Neil Hennessy, Subhadra Rajapa, and Julia Coronado. Tyler. Melissa, thank you very much. Uh, of course, the Fed expected widely to speed up the uh, hike timeline uh, and the taper timeline. Our next guest says, never mind that. Pay attention 
to the number of rate hikes that may be in the pipeline. Here to explain, David Wessel, our friend, senior fellow, economic studies at the Brookings Institution. David, great to see you. Good to see you, Tyler. Thank you for bringing in the good weather. Yeah, it's a beautiful day to be outside. You can't help but feel that this pivot, this change in Fed policy, suggests either that the Fed is behind the curve, was slow to move, or made a mistake. Am I right on that, or am I wrong on that? And if there was a mistake, what was it? Well, I don't think we know yet whether they've made a mistake. The two things that surprised the Fed were, one, that inflation has been as high and persistent as it has been, and secondly, that so many workers have remained on the sidelines of the economy, which suggests that maybe they're closer to their maximum employment goal. Than they, than they had expected to be at this point. I think the problem they have here is they have to weigh what is the bigger risk, that we're going to have lots more and in persistent inflation in 2022 and 2023, or that Omicron and other developments will slow the economy. So they have to decide which is the bigger risk and adjust to that. They have a very difficult needle to thread here. By, and you're, you're basically what I hear you say is time will tell whether they, quote, made a mistake or not. Exactly. And I think what their goal today must be is to keep their options open. By speeding up the pace of tapering, they leave open the possibility of raising rates perhaps as soon as March. Uh, of 2022, but they don't have to decide that now, and they'll have a lot more information when that decision comes. So the last guest in the last segment said that she expected the Fed to take action, but maybe to sound more dovish than the popular consensus today suggests. In other words, where people are saying we're going to go from one rate hike in 2022 to maybe three. Where do you come down on that? Um, Well, it's always dangerous to make a prediction half an hour before you actually get the announcement. But uh, I think that there's quite a bit of division in the in the commentary on the Fed. There's some people who say they're behind the curve. John Steinson, who's an economist, uh, co-chair of the NBER monetary policy thing, thinks they should be raising interest rates every meeting in 2022. Roberto Perley of Cornerstone, a former Fed person, saying, be careful, central banks sometimes overreact. So I think what they're going to say today is we're on the case. We are worried about inflation. The markets demand that, the politicians demand that, and the public demands that. But they're going to be very careful to keep their options open and not make firm commitments about 2022. The problem that Chair Powell has is they're going to be these dots. And at the last meeting, only half of the FOMC expected a rate hike in 2022. Today, I'm sure we'll see more. And he'll have to decide, does he want to embrace the dots or talk away from them? What's causing the inflation and and what's the new word that is going to replace transitory? What's causing it and what's the descriptor going to be? I think the issue is there are two different things causing it and they have to decide what is the most important. One set of things is very COVID specific and, you know, will used car prices come down as the market stabilizes will demand for goods wane as people go more to services so if it's all covid they can afford to relax but there's a lot else going on we've had a substantial amount of fiscal policy some of these supply chain kinks look like they're going to be around for a long time Uh, there are a lot of people who have pent up savings that they're going to be available to spend so there's this balance and they have to get that right i personally think that We're going to see inflation come down next year. That's not very controversial. The question is, will it come down enough and fast enough to avoid infecting inflation expectations? David, great to see you. Good to see you, Really, really fantastic. Come to to Washington sometime. Love it. It's so nice down here. David Wessel, Brookings Institution. Appreciate it.
Back to you, Melissa. All right, coming up, COVID cases are surging with the Omicron variant now present in at least 36 states. We've got the latest numbers and what health officials are saying next. Plus, a victim of unrealistic and impractical expectations. That is what one economist is calling the Fed as it finds itself stuck between a rock and a hard place in the year ahead. He will join us to make his case. We've got 40 minutes to go until the Fed's decision on interest rates. The exchange is back right after this. This is The Exchange on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. surge in COVID cases and increased concerns about the Omicron variant are prompting shutdowns on college campuses and Broadway as the White House points to an acceleration in its booster program. Meg Terrell is here with the very latest. Meg. Hey, Melissa. Well, we are seeing case numbers, hospitalizations, and deaths all rise. Cases up 40%, now averaging 120,000 per day in the United States. Deaths up also 40% over the last two weeks, now to more than 1,200 every day uh, in the U.S. And community transmission across the country, now we're seeing 90% of counties considered high transmission or substantial transmission. Those are the red and the orange on this map there. That's where the CDC recommends everybody mask up indoors regardless of their vaccination status. Now, most of the transmission we're seeing right now, according to the CDC, is still the Delta variant. Uh, The overall prevalence across the United States is about 3% of Omicron, but it varies regionally. And you can see really high prevalence in the New York, New Jersey area. About 13% of the sequences they're looking at in those states are Omicron, and you are seeing an effect on college campuses in particular. In just the last couple days, hearing from Cornell, NYU, and Princeton uh, that they've all canceled events, they're moving finals online due to surges in cases, some of which they suspect are Omicron cases. Uh, Now, the way the public health world is responding to this and health officials from the U.S. is emphasizing that booster vaccines appear to work really well. Dr. Fauci focusing his scientific presentation in the White House COVID briefing on all of the data we've seen so far, and he had this to say. Our booster vaccine regimens work against Omicron. At this point, there is no need for a variant-specific booster. And Mel, we did just see the first data for a Moderna booster actually presented by Dr. Fauci from the Vaccine Research Center at NIH, also showing a very similar trend that when you give that boost, you see the antibody levels really going back up against Omicron. Mel? 
Matt, can you speak to the overall number of COVID cases? I saw a chart uh, for the state of Connecticut this morning. I'm not sure if this could be extrapolated for the United States as a whole, but cases look to be at the same levels as last December. And if Omicron is still a very small percentage of cases, this implies that Delta is still raging and is still out there and is causing the case levels to tick higher. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there's some really concerning um, reports yesterday from a CDC briefing of public health officials where in one scenario you have a high level of Delta cases, then you get an Omicron surge on top of that. And we are also hearing that flu is now ticking higher as well. So you're looking at what one person called a triple whammy of these three respiratory diseases circulating at the same time, uh, which really doesn't spell good news for the winter. All right. Meg, thank you. Meg Terrell. Coming up, tech stocks have basically gone nowhere since the end of last month. Up next, I'll tell you why the so-called Powell pivot may be to blame. The exchange is back right after this. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is... I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say... Hang it in there. Because... If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Welcome back. Market slightly lower at the Nasdaq. The biggest laggard here is down by just about eight-tenths of a percent right now. But tech stocks haven't really gone anywhere since the Fed's about face on inflation continues to weigh on those stocks. Bob Bisani is at the NYSE with us much more on this. Bob. And, Melissa, since Powell indicated that the Fed would stop characterizing higher inflation as transitory, that was November 30th, techs had trouble advancing. Take a look here. Particularly software stocks. They're down about 10% since that time. Semiconductors down 5%. Kathy Wood's ARK Innovation Fund down 14%. Big software names like Cloudflare, Zscaler, PagerDuty, Datadog, Adobe, they're all down 11 to 30% since Powell turned hawkish. Investors have instead fled to cash or into Apple. (laughs) Apple's up 8% since Powell pivoted and has become something of a safe haven for tech investors. The Fed's aggressive about face is calling into question sky-high tech valuations on many very big names. So, for example, J.P. Morgan software analyst Sterling Audi was on yesterday reducing his ratings on Adobe and a dozen other software stocks, saying cash flow growth rates are the key to understanding the market. And he wrote, quote, this has been consistent since 2000 and brings into focus whether growth rates can sustain or moderate at a tolerable level to keep valuations propped up. This may be the first of many reevaluations. 
Justin Post, who's Bank of America's Internet analyst, noted that after a strong 2020, his Internet stock universe was down 13 percent in 2021. In a note to clients this morning, he said our B of A strategy team has a somewhat bearish view on the S&P returns in 2022, given high valuations and potential impact of higher interest rates. And we expect a choppy 2022. And Melissa, his main hope for a stronger 2022 valuations have already begun to adjust. So we'll see if we keep adjusting. We'll see what Powell has to say in just about a half an hour. Yep. Bob, thank you. Still ahead, the Fed's impact on housing. Mortgage rates expected to rise following a faster taper. Couple that with sky-high home prices. And we're looking at a perfect storm for the housing market. That's next. Welcome back to The Exchange. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is your CNBC News update at this hour. The Senate voting overwhelmingly to approve a $770 billion defense spending bill. Only 10 senators voted against the National Defense Authorization Act. The bill now goes to President Biden's desk for his signature. And Southern California cleanup has begun after a powerful storm dropped record-breaking rain. Rivers of mud and debris formed when more than four and a half inches of rain fell in less than 24 hours. Remarkably, though, no injuries were reported. And on the news tonight, more severe weather forecasts across the West, including a chance of an unheard of December tornado in Minnesota. That's tonight at 7 Eastern. And the Navy says it has successfully tested a laser weapon and destroyed a floating target in the Middle East. That system could be used to counter drone boats carrying bombs used by Yemen rebels. Last year, the laser was used to take down a flying drone. You're now up to date. Tyler, I'll send it back to you. Rahel, thank you very much. Uh, of course, uh, everybody knows that there is a direct tie between interest rates and housing. The national median sales price for sold homes is sitting at a record high, just above $400,000. If rates go up, what happens to prices? What happens to demand? And for once, I get to say hi, Di, and you are actually here. And I get to say hi, Ty, back. That's uh, so wonderful. So. If rates rise uh, because of Fed action and housing uh, mortgage rates rise as well, what's that likely to do to the pace of sales, to the price of homes? Well, it's just going to make it that much harder for that first-time home buyer to get into the market, and they're already having so much trouble. And the reason, actually, that we saw home prices rise so dramatically, so swiftly last year was because we saw more than a dozen record lows on the 30-year fixed. Now we're well above that, about 50 basis points higher than we were a year ago. That takes out of affordability and makes it harder for those buyers to get in. So we could see sales pull back a little bit. The question is, will we see prices pull back a little bit? And that's going to be about supply. And I don't see a lot of supply coming on. Melissa? Part of that, part of that Diana, could also be the raw material costs, which we've seen gone up. So on, on the other hand, if Fed Powell is successful and, uh, you know, a faster taper timeline, more rate hikes mean that inflation is actually nipped at the bud, then, then maybe buyers can see some relief on that front? Well, I'm not sure because actually some of these commodity prices that are going higher are not just about inflation. Like we saw lumber drop back to its normal level over the summer only to spike back up over 100 percent last month because of Canadian lumber tariffs and because of bad weather in Canada and, of course, very warm temperatures here. So you see more builder demand. So I don't know that you're going to see material prices come down that much. Back the last time inflation was high in the late 70s, early 80s, I remember people saying that housing, real estate, was a good, not albeit an imperfect, hedge against inflation. Is it? 
Well, so that's a weird, unique moment that we're in right now because normally it would be a great hedge, but we're seeing home prices, home values so inflated right now and so many investors in the market. The number of single-family investors, not just large institutions, but you know, hedge funds, smaller groups, pouring into this market and fueling all this demand for housing, which is pumping up the value of these homes. If these investors, which are no longer just the mom and pop investors that we saw in the past, if these investors say, okay, I'm seeing rising rates, I'm actually going to get a better yield somewhere else, and they start to perhaps sell off some of these homes, and I'm talking 15 million homes, rental homes in the single family sector, what does that do to the value? Is that a great hedge? Maybe so not. if the investors pull out, that could pull out the rug from underneath it house could. prices. Now, I'm not saying You're that not investors saying will. Happen, I'm not saying that, but they were hunting for yield, and that's why they went into real estate. If you see yields go higher, maybe they don't love real estate All so right. much. Diana, great to see you. Thanks. Thanks very much. All right, Melissa, back to you. All right, coming up, Powell changing his tune on inflation at the end of last month, warning it is no longer transitory. But is it too late? Uh, too little, too late. We'll debate that and take a look at how to position your portfolio. That is next. The Exchange will be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to The Exchange live today from Washington, about 20 minutes away now from the Fed's decision. Many expecting an accelerated taper and uh, sooner than expected rate hikes. Here with us now to discuss how investors should prepare for a faster Fed, if that's what we get. Jamie Cox, managing partner with Harris Financial Group, and Ivory Johnson, founder of Delancey Wealth Management. Gentlemen, welcome. Good to, good to have you here. Ivory, I, I note that you say you think the Fed will move because inflation is peaking. That seems counterintuitive. If inflation is peaking, why does the Fed need to move? Well, some of this is, is window dressing as well. You know, a lot of middle class Americans are having an issue going to the grocery store and filling up their, their gas pump. But I do think that inflation has peaked. If you look at the, um, the, the two year yield and a 10 year yield, it's hitting lower highs. Look at the move index. It's actually going down. So the market is telling us that inflation has kind of peaked. That same thing with the CRB index, oil, natural gas. The market is telling us that we've pretty much hit the peak of inflation. I believe I asked someone, maybe it was Bob Pisani yesterday, why is the stock market, maybe the day before, why does the stock market seem so unimpressed with these high inflation numbers? And he said the same thing. They're thinking that inflation has peaked. And that's why they're looking ahead. Do you agree? I do. In, in the third quarter, we had the opposite effect, where growth was slowing and inflation was rising. But as the data has come in and showed hot reads that were, in, in fact, in place in Q3, that is starting to ameliorate. So we're seeing growth accelerate, and that's a good thing. So if there's inflation and growth, markets can deal with it. And I think that's what we're seeing. That's why I think markets and the, and the bond yields are saying the same thing. So the consensus here is that the Fed is likely to accelerate its taper uh, by double, going from 15 billion a month to 30 billion, and that it may signal higher interest rates. If that is what turns out to be the case, what should I do about my investments? How should I change how my portfolio is structured? Well, most people shouldn't change their portfolios based on what the Fed may or may not do in any one month's time. I think that's the most important thing. But let's talk about what 2022 might look like. If there is inflation, then you're going to want to have portfolio stocks that has pricing power, things like Broadcom or things like United Healthcare. Think companies that can pass along those costs to their end, end users. If you can, Microsoft, I mean, there's a lot of companies that have those characteristics. If there isn't inflation, it's basically the same thing we've been doing for the last couple of years. It's all tech. So, so, so same question to you, Ivory. If we get that consensus view, right. what would you be doing within your portfolio? And then I want you to address something that you raised off mic just a few moments ago. 
and that is the, the possibility of what happens to the Fed's balance sheet down the road as bonds in their portfolio mature. If they don't replace them, that's money coming out of the system. Yeah, exactly. So think about what we've been doing over the last 12 months. We've been having inflation hedges inside the portfolios. That looks like energy. Uh, there's, there's been commodities inside the portfolios. If we start to see inflation decelerate, you know, the second derivative on a rate of change basis start to go down, then you want to have things that, that you want to get rid of those energy stocks and the commodities. And the, then you might buy some tech because we're still going to have some growth. Now, to your point about the balance sheet, we've got a $9 trillion balance sheet on the Fed. If that starts to decline because they don't replace the bonds as they mature, that brings into play, does the GDP start to decelerate as well? That's a completely different setup. Then you're not buying tech stocks. Then you're buying utilities. You're buying real estate investment trusts, consumer staples, a much more defensive portfolio when growth and inflation are both going down at the same time. But that's something to watch for when? 2022, 2023 on the balance sheet? That's correct. We wouldn't see that until 2022. 2022. All right. So we talked about what the consensus possibility is here, the the quicker tapering, the possibility of sooner and more interest rate. What could be the unexpected tail risk to come out of the Fed today? Do you, what, what might it be and how would that change what you just told us your investment thesis would be? I, I think that the only thing that could happen, I think the statement isn't going to give you any tailwind problems. I think in the press conference when words are misinterpreted, markets could find something that suggests that inflation is higher and the Fed is going to accelerate its pace of rate cuts or rate, rate increases, for example. That could be you know, misconstrued. I think that's the area in which there might be some tail risk, but I believe the Fed's going to be much more dovish. I don't think they're going to be as hawkish as people think because there's no reason for them to be. One of our guests at the top of the hour said, said that point. Same question to you, Ivory. If there is a surprise in the, in the text, in the Q&A, in the statement, uh, what would it be and how would you change what your investment thesis is? I think it might be that they, again, because they, they're, they're, they're walking a tight line. Right. So if they were to raise interest rates more often than, than what's expected, that could roll markets. But by the same token, I think it's baked in yeah. uh, that they're going to raise interest rates. I don't think that's going to have as big of an effect. Remember, when they raised rates in fourth quarter 2018, rates actually went down. So I'm not that concerned, and I don't think they're going to raise them that fast. Not when you have 140% debt-to-GDP ratio, $300 trillion in, in global debt. I think that the economy is so leveraged that they don't have as many, many opportunities to raise them as maybe yeah. they would have in the past. Ivory, great to be with you. Thanks. Thank you. Good to see you. Ivory Johnson, Jamie Cox, thanks very much. Thank you. Melissa, back to you. All right, Tyler. Still ahead, between the tenuous job situation, job market situation, rising prices, and an uptick in COVID cases, the Fed is stuck in a perfect storm, and one former Fed economist says policymakers may have no way to win. That is next. We are just minutes away, 11 minutes from the Fed decision at the top of the hour, but all eyes are on the press conference at the bottom of the hour. Chair Powell's language is important as the Fed's dual mandate has put the central bank in a tricky situation. Balancing maximum employment with stable prices and moderate long-term interest rates comes with trade-offs. Our next guest says if they can't pull off a, quote, soft landing growth, could slow next year. Joining us now, Bill Lee, chief economist at the Milken Institute. Bill, great to have you with us. Thanks for having me, Melissa. How difficult will it be for the Fed to stick that soft landing, in your view? 
Oh, the Fed has always had a hard time doing it. But now, because Congress has such high and unreasonably high expectations about what the Fed can do, they've expanded the Fed's mission. The mission creep has really accelerated. We've gone to uh, expanding uh, full employment to mean inclusive full employment. And now we're also worried about price stability. And, and on top of that, we're putting climate change and, and, and addressing income distribution on top of that. So the Fed is really being put in a, between a rock and a hard place. And the fear that I have is that uh, up until now, Chair Powell has been very quiet about what the Fed's limitations are. It has accepted the, in the new framework that we're going to have much more inclusive employment uh, goals. But now markets are saying we're way behind on inflation. And my fear is that the, the, the Powell is going to be much more sensitive to these cries to do something and do something quickly that we will repeat the mistakes of the past. Too much, too soon. It too sounds like you're worried that the Fed is going to play the political game in a way with this. I mean, certainly in, in recent weeks, we've ter heard more and more people talk about um, inflation, about the you know higher prices at the grocery store and at the pump, et cetera, et cetera. It's a real Main Street issue, obviously, Bill. Um, and you think the Fed gets pulled into all of that? The Fed has always resisted political pressures in the past and has become a, always remained apolitical. But now that uh, Chair Powell has been reappointed, I think I hope he can go back to that stance that has been the hallmark of Fed uh, uh, history. And, but I'm afraid that these cries from the marketplace and the cries from Main Street are carrying the, the, the Fed in two different directions. And right now, the Fed has credibility. The five-year, five years at inflation expectations as measured in the bond markets are rock-solid stable. Uh, the five-year, five years are about 2, 2.2%, and they've been that way since June. And that means that markets have confidence the Fed is in the game and able to control inflation. What, what I'm not sure of is the overreaction. If they do something, the markets may take it as an overreaction. And that may cause uh, these expectations to become unanchored if they don't do enough. And if they do too much, given today's retail sales, they may actually crash the economy. What is enough in your view? What is what is the, the right the right balance? I'm expecting uh, Chair Powell to take a very strategic approach and say we're accelerating the pace of tapering and we are going to start to increase rates and we'll, the amount, the number of rate increases and how fast we're doing it will depend on the incoming data. The key trick is will he be able to embrace the dot plots, which surely will show more rate increases, or is he going to say uh, the traditional answer, which is these are individual Fed members' uh, opinions? What is your view of what the economy does next year? And I'm asking you that. Um, with uh, the view that the yield curve is telling us something different from what the Fed is telling us in terms of 10-year yields coming down in the past month, indicating maybe a question mark about future growth, and the Fed saying the economy is going to run hot. Great question. I, I think everyone is so convinced that inflation is so hot because current aggregate demand exceeds the, the supply side crimped uh, uh, shortages. Uh, shortages, uh, we have clearly uh, messed up in, in forecasting how quickly the shortages were alleviated, but the demand certainly is very strong. And I think the Fed is, needs to address that. That's why they're going to accelerate tapering. And the rate increases going back to normal, as the Fed has always said, is about two and a half percent. But when will you get there? We get there in five years or we get there in three years. And right now, the fear is that the Fed will accelerate that pace of going to that two and a half percent at a faster pace. And that could actually crimp the economy. All right, Bill, great to speak with you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Bill Lee. And that does it for us here at The Exchange. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, 
packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 